0: There may or may not have been a wrestling match going on up here, in case you were wondering. (laughs) Jesus said, let the little children come unto me, for such is the kingdom of heaven. And uh, I love that part of the service because it puts a smile on most of our faces, mine included, most Sundays. Except when it's my boys doing the wrestling. (laughs) Then it tries my patience. But nonetheless, we know that the Lord welcomes the children, and it's these moments that are going to make uh, an impression on them for their lives as we seek to show them the ways of the Lord. This morning, we are again reminded, and we are called to remember what Jesus has done for us, and so we want to continue to do so as we hear from God's Word today. Uh, It is a wonderful day, as Matt's already done a good job of of getting us excited for the beautiful weather and we have a beautiful message to share uh, and to celebrate and so we want to continue to, to delve into that uh, deeply today. Uh, a couple of things I just want to make you as a, a church body aware of. We are going to be starting baptism classes shortly so if anyone is considering being baptized or is uh, knows of someone who may be considering it, give a word of encouragement and, and uh, come speak to me and we can see about uh, moving ahead with classes if you were interested in being baptized and so I just want to make you aware of that. Would you now bow with me and let's ask the Lord's blessing on his word. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word is life. Your word is, is nourishment for our souls and we thank you that by it, Lord, we are fed. And so, Lord, as we come again and prepare ourselves to come again to your table This morning, we pray that as we prepare to do so, that you would nourish us, Lord, with your word. For it is life for us, it is strength, and by it we know how to live our lives. And so we pray, Lord, that you would do your work through it again today. Lord, we pray uh, for the various concerns in our church family. Lord, we pray for any that are ill. We pray for any that are struggling, Lord, with, with sickness of any kind. We pray, Lord, for those who are, who are battling uh, through adversity in life, and we, we pray, Lord, that you would give them strength day by day and that you would lift them up. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for the way that you have brought comfort uh, in this past week to those who have been mourning. We think of the Hyde family, of the Craker family, at the passing of Mrs. Andy Craker, and we thank you for the way that you have supplied the comfort, and as well, we have been able to celebrate the tremendous life that was lived And we pray, Lord, that as we move forward as a church family, we would remember her and we would remember the life of faithfulness that she modeled for her family as well as for us. And may we seek to be faithful as well as we serve you and as we serve your church here in this place. Lord, I pray for each one in this church family who has a a heart to serve you in whatever role that you have given them. I pray that you would encourage them this morning that what they're doing is important that it is valuable to the life of this body. And we pray that you would strengthen us and give us joy, Lord, as we serve you. I thank you, Lord, for the role you have given me. Thank you for the privilege it is to open your word and to share from it the life that we each can receive. And so I pray, Lord, that this morning You would form the word in my heart that it could come from my lips, Lord, in a way that would be a blessing to each one who's here today. May it be yours and come from you, I pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Do you ever have trouble forgetting? Does anyone here ever forget something? We got one hand. Has anyone here ever forgotten where they put their car keys? not looking at anyone in particular? Have you ever lost your wallet with your visa and your your driver's license and all of your other stuff in it and then you had to go about cancelling stuff and oh, it's a pain, isn't it? Have you ever searched for your glasses for an extended period of time only to discover that they were on your head the entire time? Anyone here ever done that one? (laughs) I think all of us have forgotten about something important at one time or another and if any of those things applied to you, you're not alone. There's a story of three old sisters. Three, uh, they were in their senior years, and these sisters all decided to live together. And so one night, they were sitting together in the living room, and the first sister got up to go to bed. But halfway up the stairs, she stopped and asked, was I going up or was I coming down? To which the second sister replied, you are going up. So, the third sister then got up and headed into the kitchen to make herself a sandwich. But once in the kitchen, she hollered out, "'What did I come in here for again?' Second sister again responded, "'You went in to make yourself a sandwich.' And then she added, "'I am so glad I'm not as forgetful as you two.' And then by force of habit, she made a superstitious knock on wood on the end table beside her chair. While hearing the knock, the third sister called out from the kitchen, someone's knocking at the door, at which the second sister immediately got up, went to the door and asked, who is it? (laughs) Now, maybe you're not quite that forgetful, (laughs) at least I hope not, but the fact is that forgetfulness comes quite easily to most of us. It's remembering that requires intentional effort. In fact, we had a good display of that these past couple of weeks as we had some of the young people come up and recite Psalm 23. That doesn't just happen automatically. It takes some effort to memorize something, to remember it. Now, though forgetfulness is most often associated with old age, it can affect all ages equally, and often it comes as a result of the busy schedules that many of us keep. But as a embarrassing as it might be to forget someone's name or to miss a meeting, and as dangerous as it might be to forget your wife's birthday, (laughs) there is one type of forgetfulness that is most dangerous of all, and that is when we forget about God, and we forget about what Jesus Christ has done for us. Now, when I say we forget, I'm not saying that we forget the concept That God exists or that we forget in you know theory what Jesus has done but when I say we forget I'm talking about in the sense of we forget about it as it applies to our day-to-day lives we forget about him as we live and go about our business as we conduct ourselves and we forget about him and therefore it affects the way we live you see when we forget about God our focus shifts from him to ourselves we stop living our life according to God's will and desires for us and instead begin viewing our lives according to what we desire and hope to accomplish. When we forget God, our sights are lowered from heaven to earth and our prayers change ever so subtly from thy will be done to my will be done. And so loving God becomes loving myself. Loving my neighbor becomes Only if I get something in return. Storing up riches in glory becomes padding my personal bank account. A mansion in glory becomes a cottage on the lake. Investing myself in leading people to Jesus becomes investing myself in leisure activities. The forgetful life, the life that has forgotten God, has little room for service and even less for self-sacrifice. For when we forget the cross of Jesus, we forget that we too are called to carry our cross. You see, remembrance is such a basic concept, and yet it is essential, absolutely essential to the life of faith. And that is why throughout the Bible, God's people are exhorted, commanded again and again and again, Remember me. Remember the Lord your God. Remember what I have done for you. Remember how with a mighty hand and outstretched arm I delivered you out of slavery in Egypt. I parted the waters of the Red Sea. Remember. And they were to build monuments. They were to have feasts. And they were to have rituals that were all designed with one specific purpose. Remember what God has done for you. Do not forget Remember me. For when we remember, we remember not only what he has done, but we also remember who we are in him. But when we forget God, we forget ourselves as well. But of course, in spite of all of the reminders, what did Israel do again and again and again? Israel strayed, Israel forgot, Israel went off the rails repeatedly. And as a result, they lived forgetful lives. And now, I again mean that in two different ways. They lived forgetful lives because first they had forgotten God, and so they had forgotten about what pleased Him and only lived to please themselves. And secondly, they lived forgetful lives and therefore forgot their special identity as God's chosen people. They forgot who they were because they forgot their Creator. And so they viewed themselves just like any other pagan nation around them would have. It's all about me and what I want. And so they forgot who they were. They forgot they were to be a nation of priests that would bless all nations. And so for those people, those people of that time who strayed from the Lord because they forgot him, they are as a result forgotten by history except as a cautionary tale. Don't do what they did is the only, only reason... That they are remembered today. And so how do we guard ourselves against doing the exact same thing? And if we have slipped ever so subtly into living the forgetful life, how do we return? Well, it's so simple, really. You already know the answer. What is it? Remember. Remember what it is. How do we do that? we begin by remembering Jesus' words. In Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 13, we read the account of Jesus' disciples being told to go ahead to prepare the upper room in Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And I love how Matt flushed that out for us, how seemingly random the instructions were. Go, you'll find a man, he'll lead you, you'll figure it out. And by now, what I love about these instructions of Jesus is that the disciples just do it without really asking any more questions. Well, they ask a couple, but they're pretty used to Jesus' instructions by now. And what an example for us. So often the Lord will ask us to do something. Go, do that. And we say, it makes no sense, Lord. I need a little more information. Don't worry. Trust me. It'll work out. And so his disciples go ahead. It works out. They prepare the upper room for the Passover feast. Now, the timing of these events is highly significant. You see, it was no mere coincidence that Jesus, last night together with his disciples, fell on the very night of Passover. The Passover was, of course, the night that God's chosen people, Israel, had observed every single year, except for a few missed years during the periods of disobedience, the forgetful years, if you will. For 1,500 years, they had observed the Passover meal. And the Passover was a special memorial feast celebrated each year to help God's people remember their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. To remember that fateful night when the angel of death came to strike down every single firstborn male in the entire land. And when that angel of death passed over Egypt... And he looked and saw the blood of the spotless lamb applied to the doorposts of the Hebrews' houses, he passed over. He did not visit that home, and the son was spared. And so that was the term, the Passover, commemorating how they were spared from the angel of death that night because the blood was applied. And so for the Passover, God instructed them to share in a special meal. And this meal involved some very interesting aspects. One of them was that they had to eat bitter herbs. Now, when we think of a feast, we think of good food typically, right? We don't want to eat bitter herbs. But the reason the bitter herbs were to be a part of the Passover celebration, part of the feast, was to act as a reminder to them of the bitterness of their years of slavery. As they ate those bitter herbs, they were, in a sense, to remember... What their sin cost them. To remember what God had delivered them from. To be reminded of what they had been saved from and what they had been saved for. So that was one of the aspects. It also involved the eating of unleavened bread. So basically it's bread that is baked without yeast so it doesn't rise. And the reason for this was to remind them of the speed at which they needed to leave Egypt. They were to have bread without yeast in it so that they could leave and bring it with them at a moment's notice. And it also involved the sacrifice, of course, of a spotless lamb whose blood was sprinkled on the doorposts of their homes to remember their deliverance from death itself. And so when Jesus and his disciples recline around the table that night to share in this Passover meal together, it was God's plan that That simple supper that already had deep, profound meaning for the nation would take on an even deeper meaning that very night, one that would stand as an act of remembrance for all people until the very end when Christ himself shall return. And so, for 1,500 years, God's people observed the Passover. Jesus had observed the Passover meal as well with his disciples, most likely many times before. But the old ways, the old meal, and the old covenant were about to be replaced. They were about to take on their greater and ultimate fulfillment, their meaning that would stand for centuries and millennia to come, which still holds true for us 2,000 years later. So let's take a closer look at the passage in Luke 22. If you have your Bibles, turn there with me. We're going to focus in on verse 14 to 16. Let me read it for you. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Now I want you to notice Jesus' demeanor, his attitude. He is excited. Notice what he says, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover meal with you. Jesus is excited about this moment. He has been anticipating it for quite some time. In the original language, the same Hebrew word is actually repeated twice, which gives added emphasis. So what Jesus is literally saying here is, with desire, I have desired to eat this meal with you. In English, it doesn't quite compute the same as it would in Hebrew. But this added emphasis to use the same word twice is a way of of just saying how excited he was. This was no routine Passover meal. Jesus is saying to his disciples, this is so important to me, I've been looking forward to it. It was significant to Jesus, and he passionately wanted to share it together with his disciples. And I believe that Jesus' double desire... Why he used that word twice to emphasize his excitement was fueled by two things. First, his desire for his disciples to finally know the full and true meaning of Passover. I believe he was excited about what was about to be revealed to them. Because for years, his people had only celebrated a shadow of what was yet to come. But now the fulfillment, the reality was here. The Lamb of God was standing before them. And the real Passover was about to be celebrated. No longer would God's people celebrate just the shadow of it. This was to be the last, the final Passover meal. The fulfillment had come. The Passover meal was handing the baton of memory over to a fulfillment of reality. The old covenant would at long last find its fulfillment in the new covenant. Written in the new blood of of the true and spotless lamb. Listen to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 7 and how Paul refers to our Lord. He says, "Get rid of the old yeast that you may that you may be a new batch without yeast, as you really are, for Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed." This is how the apostle Paul refers to Christ, our Passover lamb. Here, the Passover lamb was ready and willing. And Jesus made that plain when he said, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Jesus tied the two together. There could be no fulfillment without the lamb's sacrifice. Jesus knew that the suffering was necessary. And he knew where he was going. The second thing that I believe fueled Jesus' deep desire and anticipation to share this meal with his disciples was that by it, they would personally remember him. I think so often when we look at these stories of Christ, we read through the Gospels, we can lose sight of and forget the fact that these twelve men were Jesus' friends. They had forged a bond of friendship so deep, so real, that the prospect of leaving them for Jesus, I believe, I believe moved him deeply. And to share this meal, this farewell supper, with his last for the last time in in this phase of life, I believe was something that Jesus held on to so tenderly that this was saying goodbye to his dear friends. He knew he was about to leave them. He wanted them to remember not only what he was about to do, but they wanted, he wanted them to remember him, what he personally meant to them and their friendship. And Jesus knew that he was about to leave them, that he was going to the cross. He knew that in the chaos that would ensue, that they, they would be scattered. He knew that they would be confused. He knew that in all of the bedlam, they would so easily forget. And not only would they forget, they, it's not that they would have forgotten him entirely, but they would have forgotten the intimacy that they had known, the deep friendship they had shared. And so Jesus takes this moment to take God's master plan of salvation from abstract theory, and he makes it personal to each and every one of them. In John's Gospel, we read that he tied the the towel around his waist, he takes the wash basin and a towel, and he goes around and in turn washes each and every one of his disciples' feet. What an intimate act of love and friendship. I don't know if you've ever had someone wash your feet. I have. It is one of the most humbling experiences in my life. It is an intimate act unlike any other, to have someone wash your feet. Now, of course, it was customary in that time to wash people's feet. That was something servants did. So at that level, they would have been more accustomed to it. It's not something we do in our culture. But nonetheless, to have Jesus come and just wash their feet, how that must have moved them. Jesus took it from theory and he made it personal. He loved every last one of them, including Judas, by the way. His feet were included that day. Far from cold and formal, this is the picture of intimacy and fellowship. And in this setting, Jesus did two simple things and spoke the words that have been repeated countless times by his followers ever since. In verse 19, he took the bread. And I have these here so we can picture it this morning. And Jesus took the bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then in verse 20, in the same way, after supper, he takes the cup also. and He takes a cup, probably bigger than this one. But he takes a cup, and he holds it up, and he says, This cup is the new covenant, written in my blood, which is poured out for you. And in all of these things, Jesus says, remember me. Now let me ask you today, do you remember Jesus? I don't mean, have you forgotten his name? I mean, do you remember his friendship? Do you remember the intimacy that you've shared with him over the years? Can you think back and remember that hour you first believed? What was that like? Think back to that moment when you were so just overwhelmed by his love that just moved you to tears. Do you remember? Or do we forget? I think Jesus wants us to remember what we've shared with him. I think he wants us to to think back to that hour we first believed and what was going on in our hearts and minds, that moment we realized, my sins are gone. I've been forgiven. What a beautiful moment. He wants us to remember. And he wants it to cultivate in us a thankful spirit that we would remember him and what he's done every day as we move forward, that we would not forget, that we would not forget what he's done, live a forgetful life, but that we would remember him And the wonderful things that he has done for us. Do you remember? Or have you forgotten the simple joy of being with him? And Jesus knew that without his physical presence with them, his disciples would easily forget. And so he tied that intimate memory with a practical act that they would do every single day for the rest of their lives, eating and drinking. He tied something so personal to something so practical. And so every time we sit down to share a meal, Jesus eagerly desires that we remember him. Every time we bow our heads to say thanks for a meal, he wants us to remember that though he is not physically present, we can still enjoy true fellowship with him every moment of every day. How cool is that? (laughs) Amazing. It's not just theory, my friends. It is real. Jesus desires that kind of fellowship with us every day. And so in order to not live forgetful lives, we must remember Jesus' words. Do this in remembrance of me. And then secondly, we must remember Jesus' sacrifice. Every year on the Passover, when the city of Jerusalem swelled to over a million people or more... Scholars estimate that over 100,000 lambs were sacrificed. Can you imagine 100,000 lambs over the course of the Passover festivities, over one week, were were sacrificed? The, The smell of the incense and the burning would go up day and night from the altars. Can you imagine the smells that filled the air around the temple? The people were reminded of the cost of their sins as the blood of 100,000 lambs was spilled. And to this Paul writes, "'For you know that it was not with perishable things such as gold or silver that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect.'" Jesus, the perfect lamb, replaced all of the other lambs that had gone before. The perfect sacrifice. And so every time we hold the cup and we break the bread, we are reminded of the tremendous cost of our sins. The broken body and shed blood of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was the the price that was paid. For God, in purchasing our pardon, spared no expense, and he gave the very best that heaven had to offer. The life of his only begotten. This story that I'm about to share will probably be familiar to many of you, but I want you to hear it again. In fact, when I checked out this story, I learned that it is not only a true story, but that some of the details were even more shocking than I had previously remembered. The story takes place back in the days of the Great Depression, and it centers on a Missouri man named John Griffith. He and his wife were married in the roaring 20s, with their whole future ahead of them. The sky was the limit, but things turned bad quickly. First, they weren't able to have any children. And then second came the great stock market crash of Black Friday, 1929. And his promising career went down the tubes with it. Unable to find work, they were utterly dejected. But then came some good news. Finally, they were pregnant. Soon they welcomed a baby boy into the world, and with renewed hope and purpose, John found what work he could, scraping by just enough to put food on the table. After a few years of this came a breakthrough. He landed a job as the controller of a great railroad drawbridge across the Mississippi River. Then came one fateful day in the summer of 1937. He decided to take his now eight-year-old son, Greg, with him to work. At noon, John Griffith pulled a lever that engaged the giant mechanism, complete with miles of steel cable and gigantic gears that lifted the bridge up to allow ships to pass safely underneath. As the ship passed safely by, John sat on the observation deck together with his son to eat lunch and enjoy the view. The time passed more quickly than John thought. Suddenly, he was startled by the shrieking of a train whistle in the distance he quickly looked down at his watch and noticed that the time was now 1.07. The Memphis Express, with 400 passengers on board, was roaring towards the still-raised bridge. He told Greg to stay put and leaped from the observation deck and raced back to the control tower. Just before throwing the master lever, he happened to glance down at the ships below, and there a sight caught his eye that caused his heart to sink, then to leap, pounding in his throat. His son Greg, attempting to gain a better view, had leaned too far over the edge. He had slipped and fallen from the observation deck, landing directly between the massive gears that operated the bridge. And there he lay, his left leg firmly caught in the cogs between the two main gears. Desperately, John's mind whirled to devise a rescue plan, a way out of this, he envisioned himself lowering himself down by a rope and then racing back to pull the lever just in time for the train to come roaring across. But then the whistle pierced the air again and he realized there was no time. And as he thought of each possibility, he knew there was no way it could be done. There was just no time to get, back, get down there to free his son and get back. Again, with alarming closeness, the train whistle shrieked in the air. He could now hear the clicking of the locomotive wheels over the tracks. Unknown to the crew and 400 passengers on board, with the bridge raised, they were hurtling towards a sudden plunge and an almost certain death in the icy waters far below. John knew this, and the image of the train hurtling through the air passed through his mind. But that was his son down there. That was his son. His boy and caught in a nightmare from which he could not awake, time was up. He had to make his decision. And John knew what he must do. Burying his head in his left arm, he pushed the master control switch forward with his right. With a groan, the massive bridge engaged engaged its great gears. The bridge swiftly settled into place, only seconds before the Memphis Express arrived and began to roar its way safely across the river. But unknown to them, unknown to those passengers that fateful day, was the tremendous cost that their safe passage had meant for the man operating that bridge. For in the gears remained the now crushed and lifeless body of John's eight-year-old son, Racked with uncontrollable sobs, John watched in dismay as the train passed by. He saw a businessman reading his newspaper, a well-dressed lady sipping a cup of tea, and then there was a boy, just about Greg's age, with his face pressed to the glass, wide-eyed at the great adventure he was on, all of them oblivious to the tragedy. And John just wanted to cry out, "'Don't you know?' Don't you care that my son died so you could live? But of course they didn't know. So how could they care? But my friends, we do know. We do know that God's son died to buy a safe passage from sure destruction and damnation unto salvation. And a heavenly home. Isaiah 53, verse 5 says, But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. If you are a parent here today, what price, what value would you place on one of your children? Can you even begin to affix a dollar amount onto how you think of your children, how you value them? No, you can't. It's impossible. Dollars and cents just don't register in the value of what you think of your children. So let me ask you, what value do you suppose God the Father places upon his only begotten Son? It is immeasurable. All of heaven itself does not begin to measure what Christ is worth. So what does that then say about how much God values you and me? Romans 8, 31 and 32 says, What then shall we say in response to all of this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He who did not spare his own son. That is what God thinks of you. That is the value that God has assigned to you. His own son was a price that he was willing to pay for you and for me that's the value that we are assigned. And not just when we are especially good, but even when we are especially bad, his love is the same. Romans 5:8 says, "God demonstrated his own love for us in this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us." A father was tucking in his 6-year-old son for the night and he asked him, "Son, when does daddy love you the most?" when you've been fighting with your sister and getting into a lot of trouble, or when you've been especially helpful to Mummy and really nice to everyone. Oh, this was a tough question, and the son thought for a moment and then said, both times. Right, the father said, and do you know why? To which the boy replied with a grin, because I'm your special guy. You see, the boy knew his father loved him. No matter what, Because he was daddy's special guy. I want you to understand today that you are your daddy's special guy. You are your daddy's special girl. And his love for you is unconditional. It is so strong, so powerful, you can't outrun it. You don't have to earn it. It's just there, and you receive it. And each time that we share in the Lord's Supper, we are reminded that it is only because of what Jesus has done that we may receive God's forgiveness. It is only because his body was crushed and his blood was shed that we could be healed. And so may we come to this table today with thankful hearts. And may we remember him. Father, as we prepare now to come to the Lord's table, We pray, O Lord, that you would cultivate us, within each one of us, Lord, a sense of gratitude and thankfulness, unlike we've ever had before, that we could experience the sweet fellowship and intimacy of your suffering, of your victory, and of your salvation.